Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Welcome to New Life. If you're here for the first time, we want to welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here. And uh, before we get into the message this morning, I would like to remind us, I, I mean, I know, I know that we all know it's Memorial Day weekend, um, but Memorial Day weekend is a little different than Veterans Day. Veterans Day is in November, as we know, and it's to recognize those who have served in the military. But Memorial Day weekend is a weekend in which we remember those who gave their lives in service of the United States of America. And um, today we're going to read a scripture in John 15. It says this, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for a friend. And uh, sometimes people in the military aren't necessarily laying down their lives for friends when they do so, but for, for the, the concept of the United States of America, which is obviously people and a free people. And, and so I wanted to pause for a moment and uh, I don't know, about a year ago, a gentleman started coming to New Life who um, had served in the Navy in the Vietnam War conflict. Okay, so anyway, uh, after he'd been coming for about six months, he came to me one day and he said, Pastor Chris, I just want you to know that when I was serving in Vietnam, I saw things that nobody should ever have to see. And he was a medic, so he saw some of the worst of the worst. And, and he said, and when I was there, I lost my faith. In fact, I didn't even believe there could be a God. And, and if this is what happens, you know, people do to people. And, and he said, because of coming here for the last six months, I, I want you to know, number one, I, I believe there's a God. I believe he has a son named Jesus and that Jesus died for me so that I can have salvation forever. And when he said that, it, it puts, put things in, a, in the greatest context, the, the context we should put all things. And that is any sacrifice of a life is important. And when we honor the folks who served in the military, that's a, that is an important and right thing to do. But the one life that was given 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary is the most important life ever given because he was perfect, and only perfect life ever given, and he is also God. And so his sacrifice paid the penalty for sin and death, and ultimately because of that, we will not have to see war one day. In fact, Jesus said that in heaven. There is not going to be any tears, no death. No crying, no pain. It will be, all of that stuff will be passed away. But it would be wrong for us not to pause, I believe, momentarily and thank those who have given their lives. And, and I would like to do it this way. Those of you who have serve in, served in the military who are with us today, if you would please, if you're able to stand um, so we can recognize you all. We appreciate your, we really do appreciate your service. And would you remain standing, please, uh, as we pray. For your comrades who did not return home because they did give that ultimate sacrifice, let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are, and we thank you for the great sacrifice of your son, Jesus. At this time, we also thank you for the sacrifice of men and women throughout the history of the United States who have given their lives so that we might have the freedoms that we enjoy, so that we might worship you here today. And God, we thank you for these folks who are standing before us today who served this nation, and we thank you for that. And we pray your blessing upon them for their service to, to you, ultimately, to this country and to us. We ask that you would um, let us live in such a way as your followers that one day, as you promise, wars will end from here to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you. You all may be seated. So last week we were in the middle of uh, the, uh, literally the middle of a series called You Ask For It. And the reason it's called You Ask For It is because back on Easter we gave you two questions. One of which was, if you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? And so we've been dealing with those questions in primarily three. We did one on Mother's Day. We did uh, one two weeks ago through a message. And then last week we had a panel. There was Pastor Barry, me, Pastor uh, Mark, and then Pastor Brad moderated. And a lot of you love that. And we're going to do that same model next week, although different pastors, except I'll be still there. Um, it's sort of hard to get rid of me. But anyway, uh, and today, though, we're going to have a message. Uh, and three biblical characters are going to give you an answer to the second most frequent question you ask on that survey back at Easter. And here's the question, why me? Why me? And so to, to flesh that out a little bit, you ask it in different ways, but, but basically it amounts to this, why did God choose me? Why, why didn't God choose somebody else? Why did God choose me when I haven't done anything to deserve it? I'm, I do so many bad things. One of you actually asked, I don't know how old you, the person was to ask this, why didn't God choose something other than people? I, I'm not going to address that one, okay? But I am going to address this whole idea of why did God choose me? And in order to do that, before we get to the scriptures, we're going to do our take-home point, which for those of you who are first-time guests, we have a one point we seek to make every week, and this is the point this week. Uh, we hope that you'll take it home with you. God chose us because he loved us. And, and you're sitting there going, Chris, duh, God chose because he loved us. God is love. Of course he chose us because he loved us. That's so obvious. But you know what? It wasn't obvious to the people in Moses' day when God chose the Israelites out of all the nations in the world. The Israelites were wondering, why us? And, and when the 12 disciples that Jesus chose were chosen by Jesus, they didn't get, understand why them. And then the Apostle Paul is going to address all the rest of us through the first generation of Gentile Christians uh, and, and they didn't understand why God chose them. So if you go to church all the time, it's pretty easy to say, well, God is love, so God has to love us. No, he doesn't. God is God. He's also just. God would be very fair if he didn't love any of us because we're all sinners and we've all turned away from him. So God didn't have to love us because God is love, because God is also just and righteous, and there's all kinds of labels that God is. And so today we're going to really dig into the scriptures and we're going to ask ourselves, why did God choose us and give the biblical, three biblical answers from Moses, Jesus, and the Apostle Paul. So if you have a Bible, oh, I have a poem before we get into this, because I think it's a little odd that God chose us. And, and there was a poem that came up a long time ago, and uh, I learned this as a little kid. And uh, it's how many of you remember Pastor Chris saying a poem in a sermon? Anybody? That's right, because I don't do that three points in a poem stuff. It's not for me. But anyway, here's the poem. It's the poem in one point. Okay, so here's the poem. Isn't it odd that a being like God still loves the clod he made out of sod? Isn't that odd? Okay, isn't it odd that a being like God still loves the clod he made out of sod? Isn't that odd? Now you see why I don't do poems, because Dr. Seuss is my speed. Okay, so 
So anyway, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, if you have your Bible or Bible app, verse 7, and Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible, and the word Deuteronomy literally means second law. The reason it's called Deuteronomy is because God gave the law, Ten Commandments, to Moses. He brought them down on tablets, and, uh, and when he came back down from the mountain after getting them the first time, the Israelites had all rejected God and were worshiping an idol, and Moses got angry, and he threw the tablets down, and they broke. So he had to go back up and get him a second time. That's Deuteronomy. Okay, so Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. And Moses is addressing why God chose the Jews. So, here we go. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations. For you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. And he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. But he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this truth that you love us. And because you love us, you choose us. And I ask today that you would open our hearts, our spirits, by your Holy Spirit, that we would go out knowing that we are your chosen ones. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the Israelites were getting ready to go into the promised land. They had been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years after God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. They're just getting ready to go into the promised land. And it's called the promised land because God had promised it to the um, ancestors of the Israelites, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you may know that this land we call the promised land has been a, a, a land of conflict. And people have basically since the time of Abraham, other people said, it's not your land, it's our land. And so God is getting ready to send the Israelites into the promised land. And Moses is giving this extended pep talk. And in this extended pep talk, what he says is, God chose you not because you're all that. Because you're none of that. You're, really, you weren't big as a nation. You, know, you weren't prosperous. You weren't strong. You weren't anything. But God chose you because he loves you. And now you're going to go into a land, and there's going to be other people in there. You know, the Canaanites and the Hivites and Perizzites and the Mosquito Bites, all them bites. And they're going to, they're going to be in there waiting for you, but I'm going to deliver them into your hand. And as they're getting ready to go in, God wants them to know they're not that, that big a deal. Now, here's the interesting thing about the Jews. We call them the Jews or the Israelites or the Israelis today. They weren't that big of a deal when God chose them. But since God chose them, they have become a really big deal. I did a little research about the Jewish people uh, for this message. And in the world today, in 2014 anyway, there were 14.2 million Jews in the whole world. That's only two-tenths of 1% of the world population. And only 2.2% of the population of the U.S. are Jewish. And yet... 22% of all Nobel Prize winners in the history of the Nobel Prize being given out have been Jewish. 48% of all billionaires in the United States are Jewish. 18% of all Jewish families have a net worth of a million dollars or more, as opposed to only 3.5% of the average American family. And, and then at the other extreme, there's 2.2% of the population in America are Jewish, but only 1.7% of the prison population in America is Jewish. So even though God, you know, chose the Jews because they weren't all that, after God chose them, this is an important principle, when God chooses you, you become all that. 
And, and even though for 2,000 years, you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to save the Jews ultimately, and many of the Jews, and, and to this day, if you're, if you're really a Jewish person, more or less you haven't trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. But, but God has never given up on the Jews, and Paul told us that in the book of Romans, that the Jews are going to come around, and they're going to follow Jesus one day. And so here we are, most of us are Gentiles, which simply means not Jew by birth, and we have the same opportunity to be God's chosen as they do, but in the, in the very first order of God choosing people, he chose the Jews, not because they were great, because he loved them. And when God loves you, you become something special. And God says this, I honor my agreements for a thousand generations. And a generation in, in the understanding of the Jews was 40 years. So that would be 40,000 years. God says, I'm going to honor my commitment for 40,000 years. Obviously, what it really means is forever. God's saying, if I make a commitment with you, it's an eternal commitment. And then it says this at the very end. However, if you reject me, I will destroy you. Now, now that, that makes it sound like love is conditional. God's love is conditional, that we have to do what he says or he'll reject us. It's really a statement of fact. When we reject God, we end up destroyed. And, and, and here's the thing. Let's just use a modern-day world. Let's say we're living in America today and we break a law of America. We're Christians, but, we, okay, I go into a store and I steal something. If I'm caught, I'm going to pay the consequence of that, that offense, right? I'll, go to, I'll probably get a fine or go to prison. I don't know what. Uh, or if you kill somebody, whatever. There are laws, and the, the consequence of those laws are upon us, whether we belong to God or not. And the thing about it is, it doesn't say that in this particular little passage, it's only a few verses that we looked at, but if you look at the whole Old Testament, what you find out is that God doesn't reject his people when he rejects them. God constantly bails them out. They go into the promised land, and sure enough, God had warned them, don't follow after the idols of the nations where you go in. You know, they worship gold idols and wooden idols and statues of stone. Don't do that because it'll be a stumbling block to you, but they do it anyway. And then the, the people of the land overtake the Israelites and put them in slavery again. And then they cry out to God, and amazingly, because God loves them, he sends a deliverer and, and frees them, and so they worship God for a while, and then they look around and they see another idol. And they start to worship that idol, and then they start to get oppressed again. And this cycle goes on throughout a long period, hundreds of years. And then God sends a king, finally. Well, God doesn't send a king because the people want a king, and God lets them have a king. And, and once they have a nation with a king, that doesn't solve their problem because they're supposed to worship God. God chose us because he loves us, but we're always wanting to choose something else. And yet God forgives us. Part of God's love is his forgiveness. And, and so the Israelites, the kingdom breaks up, and then they go off into exile. And yet as they cry out in exile, what does God do? He, he sends the deliverer through the occupying, or, or, or I should say the nation where they're exiled, and he sends the Israelites back, and they get to build Jerusalem up again, and they get to build the temple up again. And God always forgives, never more clearly than in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago as the ultimate expression of God's love for us, his ultimate expression of forgiveness to us, even when we do reject him. And so even though God says, I'm faithful for a 1,000 generations, but if you reject me, I'll destroy you, and, and that happens in history, but God always lets us come back if we repent and turn, which just means turn back to him, and, and he forgives us. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and while he's living on the earth, he chooses 12 guys that these 12 guys are going to take the teaching and the truth and the life 
that he came to give and spread it around the world. And, and so he's talking to these 12 guys one day. All, well, it's actually, I shouldn't say one day, like the day before he gets you know, arrested and crucified. And so it's in John chapter 15, if you want to follow along, it's in verse 9 and following. And we're not going to just read and, and skip all the way through it like we did with uh, Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 10. We're going to look at it a verse at a time. And what we're going to see here is that Jesus has a very clear statement about the fact that he chose us because he loves us. And we'll see that as we read through it. But let's look first. And, and if you want to follow along, or it's up on the screen probably. John 15, verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Now, in verses 1 through 8 of this chapter, Jesus has used an analogy. He said, I'm the vine, grapevine, you're the branches. If you remain or abide or stay attached to me, you will bear much fruit. And so what Jesus is saying in this statement here is, you're supposed to stay attached to me the way I'm attached to my heavenly father. And my heavenly father loves me because I stay attached to him. And, and actually there's you know, only one God, but we believe that God expresses himself to us as father, son, and Holy Spirit. So the analogy here breaks down a, a, a lot, actually, because Jesus is God. And his remaining in God is different than our remaining in Jesus because we don't get to become God because we remain in Jesus. We're always going to be people. But the point is, that kind of love that God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have for each other, we can experience that in our relationship with him. And now here's going to be a little bit of a zinger if you don't read the Bible a lot because he's going to connect love and obedience. And here's what he says. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. So what he's saying there is, the way we express our love for Jesus is by obeying his commandments. And, and some people hear that and go, you mean if I obey Jesus' commandments, he will love me? No. He already loves us. He chooses us because he loves us. We don't obey his commandments so he'll love us. We obey his commandments because he loves us. This is a statement. He's going to flesh it out in the rest of this passage. But this is the basic difference between religion and the gospel. Religion is our doing something to please God, obeying something so God will be happy. And the gospel, the good news is that God loves us. He dies for us. He gives us a new life. And out of that new life that we have in the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we get to obey him. It's an opportunity. It's a blessing. It's not something that's hard and rigid and, and legalistic. And in fact, if we had the time to read all of John, what we would find in John 15, I should say 16, is Jesus is going to say, after I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to do several things, one of which is going to remind you of all the truth that I've given you. And he's also going to comfort you. He's going to be with you in all things. And he's going to empower you. And that's what Jesus said back in John 3 to Nicodemus, a religious leader, that you have to be born again. And so the biggest difference or distinction, I should say, and reason why we get confused about this whole love-obedience thing is we miss the point of two biblical words. They're big words, and I'm going to explain them. But the difference between salvation and sanctification. Salvation is a free gift. 
Salvation is Jesus dying on the cross to pay the penalty for human sin, so we're saved. It goes just like that. I am saved in an instant. You are saved in an instant. Why did Jesus die for us? Because he loved us. It says it in John 3, 16, right? And he died for us so we could have a new life. It's being born again, so we're saved. And in that moment, in that moment, we have a new life. It's so amazingly different that Jesus called it being born again and the Apostle Paul called it being a new creation. That's when it starts. And that's just the beginning. Some people think that's the end and I don't have to do anything after that. You don't have to do anything after that. But here's what we get to do. It's called sanctification. It means becoming like Jesus. Becoming holy, literally, is what it means. But it means becoming like Jesus. So how do I do that? How do you do that? Well, once we receive the love, once we know God chose us because he loves us, we have this Holy Spirit in us, the Spirit of God in us, and we start to look at the commandments and we say, when I tried to love other people, I couldn't do it because they just got me mad, angry, upset. But now, instead of me trying to love people, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit love people through me. And that's what sanctification is. I start to live more and more like Jesus in all the areas of my life. And and the thing that's really amazing is he says that when we obey his commandments, that's when we're remaining in his love. And and it goes on to say something uh, really incredible. Before we get to that really incredible part, I have to underline something. Here's what happens. We, We get saved. We start to live this life, and as we live this life, we screw up. We sin. And, and in our minds, we say, well, wait, maybe I wasn't really born again. Maybe I wasn't really saved. Maybe because you know what happens when we mess up in, in, in our family? Our parents get upset at us. We mess up at school. The teacher gets upset at us. We get upset or we mess up at work, and the boss gets upset at us. So we assume if we mess up in seeking to obey God, he's going to get upset at us. Maybe we're not even worthy of his love. That's what I wanted to emphasize. It's going to be up on the screen. We are not worthy of God's love. He didn't choose us because we are. He chose us because he loved us. If he was looking around for a worthy candidate, we would be in trouble because there are none. So here's what he says next. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is something so important, so important. Many Americans think that joy means happiness. Happiness is a a circumstance. I can show it to you this way. If I told you I'm going to give you all a million dollars as you're walking out today, you'd be happy for a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months, or a year or so. Unless you were Jewish, then you would have $10 million in 10 years. Okay, but if you're, I'm, I'm, I'm not really joking here. Okay, because the Jews understand how to use money because huh, because they're God's chosen people and there's a whole bunch about money in the Bible. But anyway, but Americans think that if I just had enough money, I could spend it and buy everything I want. And then I'll be broke again and then I won't be happy. But we think that's joy. Joy is not that. Joy is when God is in our lives. Joy is when we have the love of God and we know that no matter what we do, he's going to still love us. Joy means that no matter what happens in our lives, We are still blessed because we still belong to God. I'm going to use an illustration. You're going to hear a lot about Cooper. He's my neighbor. He's five years old. He hangs out with me a lot in the summertime because he doesn't have school. And yesterday we were hanging out, and I went into my garage, and I bent over like this, and I went, oh. And Cooper looks at me, you know, and I said, man, Cooper, I'm getting old. And he goes, you really are. (laughs) And I said, well, Cooper, you know, I am going to be 59 in a couple weeks. You know, my birthday's coming up. 59, that's really old. So, so yeah, he's right. Okay, so as we get older, we could be sad about that, and we could say, I can't do the stuff I used to do. Or we could still be joyful 
because God is in our lives, whether we're 5 or 15 or 50, whatever. Guy came out of church last night after I told that little story, you know. He says, you know, you're, I'm old enough to be your dad. I said, wow, you're really old. And, and, and he said, well, the point is that you're young because I'm old enough to be your dad. I said, no, the point is you're old because you're old enough to be my dad. And, and, and we can be joyful. How old we are doesn't matter if Jesus is in charge of our lives. How young we are doesn't matter. How rich we are, how poor we are, all those things. Whether tough things are going to happen. Because I'll tell you this, life is hard and sometimes it's harder. And in those times, if all we're seeking to do is to be happy, we won't be. But if we have the joy, and that's what Jesus is saying, if we know that he loves us because he loves us, because he chose us because he loves us, then our life can still be joyful even when it isn't happy. So then he says this next, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, if you think life is supposed to make you happy, and you read that verse, you'll be confused. Life isn't supposed to make us happy. Life is supposed to make us obedient. And, and the, the reason we're supposed to be obedient is because God loves us. And sometimes our obedience will mean that we submit ourselves to someone else. And sometimes we'll submit ourselves to the point of death. And, and Jesus says you can't do any more than that. Obviously, you know, like Rick Warren always says, the gift of martyrdom can only be used once. Some of you will get that on the way home. Okay, so... So when we give ourselves, you know, greater love has, we can lay our life down literally once, but we can lay our day, life down every day in our relationships. In fact, Jesus goes on to say something, and actually, this is a wonderful, amazing passage, but this is one of the most powerful things that he says here. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. In Jesus' day, when you became the follower of a rabbi, you became his slave. If I was a rabbi and, and, and Brennan became my student, my disciple, and I said, Brennan, I need you to wax my sandals or polish them, whatever you do to sandals. He doesn't say, I don't feel like it. He just does it. And, and so you become a slave. But notice what Jesus says. It's very incredible. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Wait a minute. Jesus, no, I'm your slave if I do what you command. That's how it works. No, 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 no. Because you understand this is a relationship of love. And so it's not I have to, but I get to. I, I have to means I'm a slave. I get to means I'm a friend. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the relationship changes when I choose you because I love you because it's no longer a rabbi-student kind of thing. It's a friend-friend kind of a thing. And it works in families. You know, if I'm married, I am, and I have a wife and I think I have to do what my wife says, then, you know, I'm not a happy guy, I'm not a joyful guy, and I miss out on the point of being a Christian. But if I get to, I get to. Children, same thing. I'm a child in a family, and my mom says, do this, you know, and I get to do that, or I have to do that. Because the relationship is what makes all the difference. And Jesus says, I chose you because I love you, and if you, do what I, if you do what I say, it shows that you're my friend, and I'm your friend, and it's not a slave-master relationship. And there are a lot of people out in the world still living Christianity if it's a slave-master relationship. It's not. And if you get that, and if I get that, we, we can live a different life in the world this week. And so finally, Jesus gets to a very direct answer to our question of why me? Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Okay. 
throughout church history, this has caused a great divide. Because there are some on, on the one side who read those pass, that passage that Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And they say, well, that means we can't choose. We don't have a choice. You know, God chooses us or he doesn't. And if God doesn't choose you, you're going to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. If God does choose you, you get to go to heaven. Nothing really you can do about that. Now, now there's other people on the other side of the, the discussion, you know, and, and they say, God chose us. However, that choice isn't going to be effective until we say yes to it. We have to respond to the choice. And, and I'll use this analogy. Back when I was 17 years old, I walked into this place in Indiana, PA, and there was this woman there, young woman there named Nancy Fairman. And God said to me, spoke to me and said, this is your wife. I was like, hey, I'm down with that. Okay, sounds good. All right. But I never met this girl before. I, I didn't know who she was. I didn't even know her name yet. And so if I just said, yes, God chose that woman for me to be my wife, would she be my wife if I never asked her out, for example, if I never developed a relationship, or if she never said yes. The relationship can only happen whenever the two people communicate and whenever there's response. So I asked her out. She said, I got to ask my dad, which didn't make me happy. But, but you know, she did have to ask her dad. That's the kind of dad she had. I'm sort of glad she had that kind of dad after I think about it. But, but the point is, eventually she said yes, and she's probably said yes thousands of times. Because you have to continue to say yes in a relationship if it's going to truly be a relationship. And so Jesus chooses you. Jesus chooses me. And he chooses us because he loves us. And we can say, no, I'm not going to do it. So we miss out. Now, this debate between the ones who say God chose and he didn't or God, you know, we get to choose. I think it's not so much either or as there's parts of, I mean, obviously it says in the Bible that God, who God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. But there's also passages that say, choose this day who you will serve. And if you put them all together, the point is God loves us and he chose us because he loves us. He didn't choose us because he hates us. He didn't choose us because he needed slaves. He didn't choose us because he didn't have enough help. He chooses us because he loves us. And the Apostle Paul, we're going to turn to him because Paul had this grand understanding, and he was a Pharisee, so he understood rules. But he had this grand understanding of God's choosing of, his, uh, 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 of him to be not a slave, although he calls himself a slave a lot in his writings, but a child, an heir of the, of the one true God. And so in, in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, we actually read this about six weeks ago in, in worship. Uh, he says this about this whole situation. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So three things that Paul says about this whole thing about God choosing us. Number one, he chose us. He gave us the gift of grace. It's just another way of saying God loves us. What is grace? It's the unmerited favor and forgiveness and love of God. And he gave it to us. It's a gift. We can't boast about it. Six weeks or so ago when I used this passage, I used the illustration saying we have the New Life cruise and we're out in the middle of the ocean and one of us falls overboard. Let's say it's me. I fall overboard. And, and so Dave, you know, he throws out the life preserver and he, I grab a hold of it. He pulls me up. Uh, and when I get up there, do I get up on the, th on the deck and go, look at me, I, I grab the life preserver. Of course not. I, I hug Dave. Right? I mean, I, I hugged Dave. Last night, people laughed because I used Fred Ferrari. Actually, he's like this tall. Maybe it would be hard for him to pull me out. I don't know. But I would hug him. Right? I would, be, I would be giving him the hug. I wouldn't be looking at me and saying, look what I did. 
In the same way, when we receive salvation from Jesus Christ because he died on the cross for us, we say, look what he did. But verse 10 is my favorite verse in this passage because it says we're God's masterpiece. And it says, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works that he planned a long time ago. How long a time ago? Before he created the universe. Before God created the universe, he had works for you and me to do. And when we respond to the grace that he gives us in, in his son Jesus Christ, we get this new life and we understand we're loved. And so we can do what God calls us to do. And we get to do that because we're his friends. I'll be honest with you, I'm sort of surprised how many people were in worship this weekend. I was expecting there to be a lot less. And, and I think most of you are here because you want to be here. I don't think most of you are here because you have to be here. So, so that's what I'm talking about. God, I mean, God wanted you to come and worship today. He did. And, and some people, one guy told me he didn't get up until 8.10, and he was in the 8.30 service. And he was on time, he said. I don't know. Okay, he must live close. But anyway, he wanted to be here. And that's the point. Do we want to be here because God has a plan for us so that we can hear what it is? So that whenever we ask the question, why me? We know, oh, because he loves me. And because I wasn't anything that special, but he just loves me because he does. And now he calls me to live this new life that is so different than the old one. Where obedience becomes a joy instead of a curse. And joy doesn't come from the happenstance of life, but it comes from my relationship with the living God in Jesus Christ. So here's the commitment for today. I will live as God's chosen one this week. I love that statement. I will live as God's chosen one this week. When I wasn't growing up, we have, there are four boys in my family, three brothers and me, you know. And, and we used to say that my little one brother was the chosen one. You know what that means, right? He was the favorite you know, and I was third, but okay, so at least I wasn't fourth. But, but anyway, you know, we had it figured out that, that my, my one brother was first, my oldest brother was second, and I'm third, and my brother Tom, he's fourth. You know, and, and he knows that. And I know that. We all know that. We all, we, Tom and I, were, we're buddies because, you know, we're three and four. Three and four got to stick together, right? But you're chosen by God. You're his chosen one. You and I are God's chosen one. So I guess it doesn't really matter where our parents put us. It doesn't really matter where the teacher puts us. It doesn't matter where the boss puts us. It matters where God puts us. We're God's chosen one. So what are you going to do about it this week? Live like a chosen one? What does a chosen one get to do? The chosen one gets to reflect the love that, that he or she has experienced from the one who chose. And, and God is the one who chose us. So as we go out today... We can, every day this week, I hope you wake up every day this week and you say, I'm God's chosen one. <laughs> he loves me. Before you get too much of a swelled head, remember, he loves everybody. And he chose all of us, right? But, but I mean, I'm, I, I actually, because I've, you know, been preparing this sermon for a while, I woke up pretty much every day this week. I said, hey, I'm God's chosen one. Doesn't matter what my mother thought. Okay. <laughs> my mother was a godly woman, but she did have her favor. Okay. So, we know how that works. I'll get over it. Okay, so, so we know how that works, right? When we know that the God of the universe chose us because he loves us and for no other reason, it frees our life to be meaningful, purposeful, and to make a difference out there in the world that so desperately needs that reality. Because our, our world today is all about, you know, 
who's in the right position, the wrong position, who's left out, who's left in, who's chosen, who's not chosen, or does it really matter? And we can say it does matter because the God of the universe chose us. If you're here this morning and you don't know that, you've never experienced that, I urge you to consider the truth of what I have shared this morning. There is a God who has a son named Jesus who chose you. And he wants you to know him personally. He wants you to live a life that really matters from here on out. And if you've never done that, it's very simple. It's not easy, but very simple. All you have to do is say, Jesus, come into my life. I acknowledge that you are Lord, which means owner. I acknowledge your Savior, which means you saved me from sin and death. I want to have your spirit in me, and I want to live this life of obedience because I get to, not because I have to. And if you do that, <laughs> you're saved. And then this process of sanctification begins, and it will, it will not make your life easier. It will not make the hard things of life any less hard. It, it, maybe it will, because you'll have joy now instead of seeking that happiness from somewhere else. But there are times where you wake up as a Christian and you just cry. The same as somebody who isn't a Christian. The difference is, you know that one day, Jesus said, there are not going to be any more tears, not going to be any more death, not going to be any more pain, no more wars, none of that. And Jesus' promises are good for a thousand generations. So, I guess we can take that to the bank. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much that you love us because you love us, that you chose us because you love us. And I pray today that anyone who just made that the reality of their life, that you would bless them this week and give them the assurance of your presence. And for the rest of us, God, who may have made that commitment a long time ago, recognize that you chose us and so we're living as a chosen one. God, I pray that we will do that with all humility and confidence this week in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.